As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. I am Tom Curran, and the 2019 season is over. But really, the offseason might be just as dramatic and eventful as the 16 games and four preseason games we just witnessed. Today on the pod, we will kick through the ramifications of the Joe Judge hiring in New York, the Matt Rule hiring in Carolina, and what that means for Josh McDaniels and the Patriots coaching staff. And of course, we're going to dive deep on Tom Brady. Why did he use the word, hopefully, when he termed his retirement unlikely? on Saturday night. We're going to get into all of that with Phil Perry and I on the Patriots Talk podcast right now. All right, going to bring Phil in in one quick second. Just bring everybody up to speed as to how it looks through my eyes, because you've been gleaning information off Twitter or on your devices or on your laptops throughout the day, your desk, cubicle, or whatever. Here's where things are. Tuesday was an eventful day for Josh McDaniels. He had interviews scheduled today with Carolina, Wednesday with the Giants, Friday with the Browns. Sure, he would have loved to have had those opportunities to interview earlier with those teams, say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, but at the end of a season, sometimes Bill Belichick wants to button things up, and especially with one of his coordinators, some extra time, I guess, was needed, and as a result, Josh McDaniels wasn't able to schedule interviews until this time. Well, certainly that appears to have cost him because the Carolina Panthers hired Matt Rule this morning after owner David Tepper spent time with Rule on Monday night in Texas, and then quickly thereafter... The Giants hired Judge. So what does all this mean to me? Well, to me, it means David Tepper is going down the same path a million other millionaires and billionaires have. I got a new toy. I'm going to promptly start smashing it into the wall and see how long before I can break it. So I'm not stunned that he jumped out and gave a $70 million contract to a guy who's got one year as an NFL coach, and that was 2012 as an assistant offensive line coach for the Giants. And then you have the Giants themselves who look at the landscape and say, crap, we got Dave Gettleman here. I don't know if we're going to be able to convince Josh McDaniels or Kevin Stefanski or any of these other candidates to take this particular job if Gettleman is coming up the works. Meanwhile, Joe Judge has probably a standing offer there from Mississippi State, which interviewed Judge over the weekend. Judge, of course, did get the chance to interview with the Giants, which I find a little bit interesting relative to McDaniels. Judge gets the job with New York. So that leaves McDaniels not only out of interviews, 
But out of luck, unless the Cleveland Browns decide they're going to hire him. Which brings us to where I want to speak with Phil about the relative merits of the Browns' job compared to the Patriots' job. And an offshoot of that, and then an offshoot of McDaniel's decision, in turn, is the disposition of Tom Brady and the Patriots towards Tom Brady as his contract is set to expire. So let's bring in Philip A. Perry right now, the Senator. Hello. Phil. What's Phil, up? Phil, we're live. Oh, nice. We are live. Listen, thank you very much for jumping on. We've both been grinding heavy. Tuesday is supposed to be one of your down days. But there's so much shit hitting the fan. There's all sorts of stuff happening. There's no down days right now. We, you know, that's what July's for. You're right. No, June. And some of May. I've already given well, a quick... Sure. Yeah, I, I gave the quick skinny on where we are relative to the coaching search. And we haven't gotten into Brady yet. But let's start with Josh McDaniels. And whether you think it's better here in New England for Josh McDaniels or whether he's got to look at Cleveland and say... I got, I got to pull the ripcord and get into the Brown situation right now. What's your opinion? I feel like it's better for him to stay for a couple of reasons. Number one, he is on his second chance. I guess his third, you could call it, if you count Indy. But he's on his second chance, and you really don't know how many chances you're going to have after number two. And so I think for a lot of us, for a number of years now, we've said, okay, well, it has to be the right situation. It has to be the right situation. The Browns, to me, is not the right situation. I know they have a talented roster, but ownership is on its fifth different head coaching search since they took over in 2012, and there's someone there by the name of Paul DePodesta, who people might remember from the Moneyball movie, used to work with Billy Bean and the A's, big-time analytics guy, who has this sort of pseudo-football operations czar slash ownership assistant title there that makes the hierarchy in terms of football ops just too murky to me. Now, maybe they'll lay it out for him and they'll say, okay, you know, Paul's just doing the coaching search here and then he's off in San Diego the rest of the year. It's, it's, it's your castle. You're free to run it however you want, Josh. And so maybe that would be appealing to him. But that would not be the opportunity that, that I would jump for necessarily. And I know your contention is that, and we went point-counterpoint on this about a week or so ago, that the situation here isn't great and maybe his stock drops. But I just feel like there's more certainty here with the head coach, with ownership. You know the players here. And I think if you show any competency whatsoever with Jared Stidham or whoever's playing quarterback, your stock won't take too much of a hit. Okay. I'm on the other side of the tracks. I look at where the Patriots are. The part-time wide receivers coach just left. The Patriots thought so little of having a dedicated wide receivers coach that they never hired one, which is not downgrading Joe Judge necessarily because they tried to have him as a first-year wide receivers coach. I don't want to spend too much time there on that decision. But not only did they have a part-time guy who's now left, they didn't have any wide receivers of note when they went out of camp. So the skill players around quarterback X have been in decline, and the Patriots have not shown a great amount of urgency over the decade to do anything. They've kind of had the alarm go off in the last two years and said, we got to start spending on these spots. So they've gotten a left tackle who's going to be a good player, and they've gotten a running back who, if blocked for, is good. 
and they've gotten a wide receiver on whom the jury will remain out for a fair amount of time, I think. There's no tight end. The center is coming back from a, a serious illness. The fullback might not come back. Dante Scarnecchi is 72. Ivan Fears is 66. And then that brings us to Brady, who, for all the times that Brady was so protective of the football and he and Josh worked in lockstep almost to the point where they probably could both use a break from each other, it'd be easier if Brady comes back than if he doesn't. And if he doesn't, well, Josh is breaking in a new guy in a demanding place without a lot of guys to throw to. To me, keep it easy, get a bigger paycheck, go work with Odell Beckham, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett on the defense, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku. Take your chances. Yeah, they might cannibalize your ass the way they did Bill Belichick's in 1995, but at least you went out there and started throwing some damn punches. Okay, I just I just started to laugh a little bit, and I oh, totally understand your point. It's not a laughable point, but you said make no, it I got easy. you. Go work with Odell Beckham. <laughs> yeah, but still, I know. Think you're not supposed to smash together. You know that. I know, it's but it's uh, devil. You know, devil. Look, I could really behave exactly as Josh McDaniels wanted to. He wouldn't want me running routes for him either. That's true. That's true. But I would say this. So, Tom, if you want to say, it, let's let's jump ahead a year and say McDaniels stays in New England, and say they have another down offensive year. Say the yards per attempt are 6.5 instead of 6.7, which is what they were this year. 6.5 would put them almost at the very bottom of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, say the quarterback rating is, is in the 80s or maybe even in the low 80s. It was in the 80s this year. Can you just like, tell me what the number of the player who's playing that position is? Uh, playing quarterback? Yeah. What's Stidham's number? Was he four? Well, it's going to drop more than that. It's going to be the worst offense in the league. Okay, well, but just hear me out. Okay. If if you're the Jaguars or the Vikings or one of these teams that's going to be looking for a head coach next year, and you might already have your eye on him in 2019, right, saying, oh, man, you know, if you're the Vikings, Mm -hmm. man, if we just lost that wild card game in New Orleans, we'd be on to the next coach and maybe we'd get McDaniels or something. That would be That'd be great. Do you think that after a bad year, now they've had, you could argue they've had two bad offensive years and he's still getting head coaching interest. Do these owners all of a sudden say he's a bad head coach or do they look at the resume? And that's a genuine question. Do you think he, his stock will, will drop that precipitously that just every opportunity is, is gone? Because he's only 43 years old. That I think it's a good question. Yeah, you're right. It's a good question, though, because I think we have a habit of overestimating the intelligence of – coaching search consultants and owners yeah and the guy who was a great candidate two years ago and I'm not even sure who that might have been because it changes so quickly depending upon how the teams do but two years later might not be now Josh McDaniels if the Giants turn their nose up to him and the Panthers turn their nose up to him and he decides that he's going to take this interview and either be passed over or decline the job with Cleveland and end up back on the market next year, I'm starting to think that the bloom might be off the rose a little bit if the team goes 6-10 and 10 and can't get out of its own way offensively. It might. It might. I just I, I would be willing to bet on myself a little bit and, and bide my time. I, now, I'm with you, but I just don't... Three. You're betting on Jared Stidham, and you're betting on Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry and wide receiver X and tight end Y. You don't know who they are. 
You don't. And but you're also betting on Bill Belichick, who you think is is pretty smart, you know, and you're not sure how the personnel acquisitions are going to go. And it seems like everybody across the league, you know, goes on runs here and there, but it all sort of ends up being fifty fifty, it feels like, or mm-hmm. some level of dice roll on every single player uh that comes out of the draft. But you're just you you're giving yourself time before you make the leap to that next job. If the next job is the last one, do you want it to be with an owner who has a talented roster and might look at you sideways if you go eight and eight and seven and nine over your first two seasons and say, Hey man, it, uh, you know, I wish it worked out, but, but it didn't. And now you're 45 and you're already, you know, you're two head coaching jobs in and neither of them have gone well. And you're wondering what's next. Well, I don't know. I, I say, I say, go, you say, stay. We're at an impasse. Let's move on then to where the Patriots coaching staff is now that Joe judge has gone elsewhere and the uncertainty that really surrounds a coaching staff that was kind of a skeleton crew to begin with in 2019 with no dedicated defensive coordinator, no dedicated wide receivers coach. Um, it's, it's a weird setup, Phil. There's not a lot of humans telling the humans who wear the helmets and shoulder pads where to go and what to do. Well, and it also is just weird now because it feels like the farm system is sort of running dry. Because for so long, when they've lost coordinators, they've lost assistants of different titles, you've just had the next guy to to elevate. And maybe they feel like they have that. Maybe it's Troy Brown for the receivers. Maybe it's Cam Acord for the special teams who's been here for a couple years and has assisted Joe Judge. Maybe they feel fine with that. But if McDaniels goes... I mean, that's a huge one. Who's the offensive coordinator? I thought it might be Joe Judge if he was mm-hmm. still here because it seemed like somebody that they felt had promise. So that's off the table. Are you bringing Chad O'Shea back? Are you making, you know, Mick Lombardi, the, the quarterback's coach slash play caller? Is, you know, does Brian Belichick get elevated to a, an offensive position group so it could free up one of these other guys to call plays? What happens with Dante Scarnecchia? What happens with Ivan Sears? both of whom are pretty late into their careers. So there's just the possibility for so much turnover. And it does get back to the McDaniel question a little bit. I mean, it would be such a huge boon for them to be able to keep McDaniels because I feel like it would make those other guys sticking around a little bit more likely. Meanwhile, Phil, one of the great strengths of the defense is the institutional knowledge. And I contend that that's one of the main reasons this team was able to go 8-0 and put itself on a, on a historic arc at the beginning of 2019 is because you had 10-year veterans like McCourty, Chung, Hightower, and players who had been in the system long enough like, you know, Van Noy, Gilmore, Jason McCourty, Deron Harmon to understand exactly what the expectations were so they were de facto coaches on the field who didn't need as much hand-holding. That's why they could get by with Bill Belichick probably splitting a little bit of his time with defensive line, linebackers, and the overall defense and have the success that they did. True or false? True. I mean, I think it's vital. If they want to make sure that they're competitive next year, and I think that's you know, that goes without saying as far as I'm concerned, but I, I would uh, invite the discussion. I think it's, you know, not that you're going to tank, but 
if Brady goes and you feel like the best decision is to part ways with Dante Hightower to free up eight million in cap space, to let Devin McCourty walk, to let you know J- Jason McCourty go, free up I think it's four million maybe in cap space. If if that's the direction you're going, if you're totally hitting the the reset button and you you don't necessarily want to compete, then that's one thing. If you want to compete, I think it's vital that you bring both Hightower and McCourty back in particular because those guys are the brains of, of your defense. It's just, you know, especially in the secondary, there's so much going on there and they were so effective really throughout the course of the year, I thought. Changing coverages, changing assignments from snap to snap, you know, discussing right before the snap who's blitzing, you or me, and I've got this guy and you've got that guy, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff is able to happen so quickly because, in my opinion, of Devin McCourty, really, I, you know, everybody has a hand in it, but he is the quarterback of that secondary. And so uh, I do think it's important that even as old as you were defensively this year, maybe they'll look at it and say that, that bit us a little bit towards the end of the season, but. I think you you almost have to stay old because that intelligence, that that overall, that collective football IQ was so big for them. Did Josh McDaniels have a good year in 2019, Phil? I mean, you look at the the wild card game, and you look at the production throughout the course of the season, and certainly there are things that you can say, "Holy crap! You can't get it in on three cracks from the one, and on the final try, the third of the three. The Tennessee Titans sniff it out so much that before the ball's even handed off for Sean Evans, is it a full sprint into your backfield? <laughs> it was. You're handing off to a Landon Roberts on third and short. To me, that's yeah. that is to me attributable to shit. I'm going to have to keep trying everything and rolling the dice, and sometimes it's going to come up snake eyes because I just don't have the ability to sit here and not take chances and do what I know will work. They never found out what they were good at. Yeah, that's something that they mentioned to us even, I would say, the first month of the season, yeah. maybe late to the first month of the season. we got to figure out what we're good at. we got to figure out what we're going to use in our playbook and what we're just going to you know, rip out and, and fire off into the sun in terms of pages from this thing because there's clearly things that we can do and clearly things we can't do. And I, I don't know if they ever really settled on what they could do based on injuries. I mean, just look at the goal line uh, sequence there where – First of all, you have a Landon Roberts on the field. That guy's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be James Devlin, and if not James Devlin, it's Jakob Johnson. And you know, you you don't you don't end up having either guy. Uh, And then on third down, you have Ted Karras who gets pulled back about Mm -hmm. four yards into the backfield, and And you have supposed to be out there either. And pre-snap, you have Ben Watson crabbing down the line the way Gronk would to get ready to deliver some kind of a trap block on back on the interior. I'm not sure that was third, but. And it's not Dwayne Allen, and it's not a third tackle, and it's not Gronk. It's Ben Watson. You had Matthew Slater actually in that role at times this year because your tight ends were hurt. So they would get down to the goal line, and if they said, screw it, I guess we'll try to run, which is something they hated to do for most of the year. The closer they got to the goal line, the more likely they were to throw, actually, which I found fascinating. But Slater was out there because he was the closest thing you had to a move tight end. That's just it. Just tells you where they were personnel-wise, and so it's hard for me to say he had a bad year. I, I do think you could look at some of the individual performances, though, Tom, and say whether it's the position coaches or the offensive coach overall, which is McDaniel's, and say why why couldn't these guys get better? Like what happened to Mohamed Sanu? I know he got hurt, 
but was he really that injured all the way through the season that he only could catch one pass on three targets in the most important game of the year? He no, traded a second-round pick for this guy. And no what one... happened with Nikhil Harry? You know, so those are the questions I would have for him, not necessarily the play calling. And that's what's such a bitch about the chicken-of-the-egg aspect of people mocking Joe Judge's hire now in New York. They're saying so many are, wait, wasn't that the worst wide receiver group in the NFL and that guy just got a head job? Well, first of all, that was... That was his moonlighting position. He moonlighted as a wide receivers coach, which is damning of Bill Belichick, in my estimation. Not only could he get, could he not hire a defensive coordinator in Greg Schiano, who decided to stick, he didn't get a wide receivers coach. It just said, "You do that for a while, Joe. We don't, you know, kicking game. We'll, we love it and everything, but you know, by the end of the year, we might not even return punts." Christ. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, just. Mind-boggling, but you look at the decisions with Joe Judge. Is it personnel? Is it coaching? I think both of us are close enough to looking at it where we're saying a lot of times it's personnel. So the Patriots are not playing this weekend for the first time since 2009, their earliest departure since the 2008 season and into the offseason. And I say it's really hard to give them anything but an F personnel-wise for the people that they brought in in 2019, whether it be the draft, whether it be free agency, whether it be addressing needs, whether it be trade deadline, whether it be undrafted free agents, whether it be planning for the future. It's, it's See, an I F. Think they, I think they tried, though. It was just late, and, they didn't, and, the, and the, the efforts didn't work. I mean, so was it a lack of effort, a bad job of scouting? I mean, we're just spitballing here, you and me together. I mean, yeah, if you, you I, chase Jerry Cook, shit, any moron could tell he was a good tight end. They didn't right. get him. Whose fault is that? Well, to a degree, it's Rob Gronkowski's because his ass wouldn't retire. You know, and then you, you can tell the story of the, the wide receiver position. You have that locked down on all the personnel there. Right, and we know what it looked like in 2017 where Tom Brady's the MVP and they're, you know, going to the Super Bowl and putting up all kinds of yards and points against the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in that loss there. But you lose Danny Amendola, you lose Brandon Cooks. Um, the next season, Rob Gronkowski is injured. Julian Edelman is back off of injury. Um, and the offense yeah. takes a real hit. And then you, you basically see Edelman take a step back because of all the injuries he had this year. No Gronk. And again, I think the receiver position probably would have benefited from an earth, the same approach they took to it this year. Trade for a guy. Feel free to trade a trade a high pick, even draft a guy up high, but do it before you really are so desperate that those guys are then going to immediately mm-hmm. have to contribute to the extent that guys like Harry and Sanu were expected to contribute this year because it's too hard. And I, I think, listen, that's another thing maybe you could pin on the coaching is I know the system is what the system is and the quarterback wants it a certain way and the coaches do too. And this is part of the fascinating discussion as far as Brady's future goes as well is at what point do you look at your system, which has been so productive for you over a long period of time and say, it's just not helping us anymore because we only have one guy in the room too, I guess, if you include Julian Edelman. or you know, There's a handful of guys in here who actually know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So is it better for us to just scrap it and go with something else, or do we continue to try to pound a, a square peg into a round hole? Yeah, and I think when we talk about personnel, and you alluded to it 
<clears throat> the guys who were brought in and the guys who went out, Hogan went out, Patterson went out, and both of them were bit players. Dorsett stayed, and the Patriots gave him a more lucrative contract, but he signaled nothing about being able to elevate his abilities to being a dependable second wide receiver or even a first option when other people are covered because he's just not physical enough. He doesn't get enough separation, and certainly it doesn't seem as if he and Brady are in lockstep. What we have often heard as pushback on the notion that they didn't do enough is that, oh, 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 oh. didn't this team just draft Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle last year? And didn't Sony Michelle have a good year last year? And didn't they spend a first on Nikhil Harry? It's not their fault that he got hurt. And didn't they get Josh Gordon? And didn't they get Antonio Brown? And my counter to that is, you can, I'll, I'll give you all of those, but since 2010, one of your tight ends ended up in jail for murder and he wasn't replaced and he was valuable as hell in 2011 and 12. The other one was drastically physically diminished for a big portion of his career an intimating retirement. You even tried to trade him in 2018 before the year. Yet the only tight ends that the team drafted were Lee Smith, A.J. Derby, and Ryan Izzo. The tight ends who they brought in were Martellus Bennett. I would say that's a triple off the wall. Scott Chandler, that's a pop out to the catcher, foul pop. And, and I don't even know who else contributed to tight end. Dwayne Allen, I guess that was a sack fly. That's fine. Yeah, Dwayne Allen, I would say, was He was a sacrifice helpful. fly, run scoring, sacrifice fly in the seventh. That's good. But other than that, I mean, I can't come up with tight ends. So they did nothing at that position throughout the decade. And at wide receiver... Malcolm Mitchell in the fourth round because he had injury concerns. That was a boon for them. He helped them win a Super Bowl. And then the injury concerns erase him from your future plans. And the reason he was able to be brought aboard was because of a smart trade that you made where you got collateral back from the Cardinals, if I'm not mistaken. Who else at wide receiver did they go out and get for the long term? Because Cooks was half a rental too. Who else, right. Phil? I mean, honest to God, am I blanking? Amendola, and that's it for the decade. Amendola and Mitchell? They had uh, oh, know, Brandon LaFell was a yeah, free agent, two-year guy. Uh, you mentioned Hogan already. You mentioned Patterson. Also, you know, relatively, um, well, obviously, re- short stay for Patterson. Hogan was here for a handful of years. But, yeah, that's, and that's what I mean. I, I think I would have tried to see what was coming and maybe, you know, spend that first-round pick. Did they have a first-round pick in 2018? Yeah, they had two. Been a, you know, maybe that's the year you draft the receiver. Maybe you forget about the running back in the first round. And I, I, I would be shocked if we see that again from from this team or really any other, unless it's a Saquon Barkley type. Mm-hmm. You know, late in the first round, even even that was a mistake on the Giants' part. You know, you just running backs should not be taken near the top of the first round. If they are taken in the first round at all, they have to be real game changers at that position because there's just it's just too easy to replace that spot and get similar production it's just not a premium position that's the that's the fact of life in in the nfl in 2019 and 2020 so that's what i would have done it's just you got to a point where you desperately needed a guy and you drafted him in the first round in an offense where rookies generally don't contribute it's really funny when you think about it this is a team that has talked value 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 
And we don't draft for need. We draft for value. That's why we'll take Ryan Mallett in the third round in 2013 or whenever it was, 2011 when he plummets, even though we don't need him. And they so undervalue wide receiver and running back that it then became a like shopping at 5.30 on December 24th. I got to get something. I haven't gotten these guys anything. What would you just laugh about? My guy Ryan just – I just said that's what I do. That's what – yeah. I got to get something. Yeah. So you end up so overspending right. for something that the person might not even really like. Sorry. Well, and, you know, an easy second guess too. And we could – I mean, you could obviously we could sit here and second guess draft picks all day with any team in the NFL. But um, one that comes up, especially as it relates to the tight end position, would be the Damian Harris pick this year too. I said at the time, Tom, and you gave me a hard time because you said I hated the pick and that I hated Damian Harris, which is – not true, didn't hate Damian Harris, but I said, listen, if, if Damian Harris ends up being a good pick, it's because the Sony Michelle pick ended up being a bad pick. Because mm-hmm. the only way he's going to play is if Sony Michelle isn't. Sony Michelle is a first-round pick. And that's what ended up happening this year. You got nothing from a third-round pick, while a guy playing tight end in your division, Dawson Knox, ends up being one of their better pass catchers for a playoff team at a spot that you desperately need help. So um, mistakes were made. <laughs> I think I think they would acknowledge that. Uh, and the question is now, when your roster looks like it is really primed for a reset, how many of these guys, you've drafted almost 20 players the last two years, and I've talked to people that said, if we don't hit on a lot of these guys, this thing could come to an end really quickly. Here. Mm-hmm. So between the last two years and this upcoming draft, how many players can you acquire that become real core pieces for you? Because the last time they lost in the wild card round, 2009, that was followed uh, by a 2010 draft that was great for them. The 2009 draft was was good for them, um, and they ended up having a core that helped propel this next iteration of the dynasty. Can they do that again? Because that's that's where they are right now. Yeah, the um, I, I did this up over the week and looking at the Patriots and from 2016, 17, 18, and 19, the team had 32 draft picks. They hit on 11 of them. In terms of make guys who've made measurable contributions, in that eleven, however, I'm including Ted Karras and I'm including Nikhil Harry and I'm including Dietrich Wise, um, Jake Bailey. So we're down to seven. How many do we want to call big contributors? We could certainly call Joe Tooney one of those. Um, and although Tooney is is Tooney a 2016 guy, he is. Yeah. Um, yep. So Tooney fits, Malcolm Mitchell's gone, but he made a contribution, so I included him. So it's it's really hard to see whether the Yalta Froholtz and Yodni Kajusts that we thought were such intelligent picks in April, the tenor around the team makes us now say, those guys are going to suck. But we have to remember that somebody's going to hit. Some of those guys are going to be good. Adam Butler's a kick-ass interior Defensive lineman. J.C. Jackson's a good player in the secondary. They've found guys in the last couple of years, too, who are good players. They've brought guys aboard. They just have more holes than we would have expected them to be and more question marks around them than you're really looking at. And one of the great well, questions— I, I would say, Go ahead. do you have you know, what they had in 09 where they get— you know, they get Chung and Volmer in the second round. Then in 10, you get McCourty and Gronk and Hernandez. Um, you know, 2011, you get Nate Solder. Like, how many guys 
of these, you know, these three classes, these three most recent draft classes that we're talking about, are going to be like multi-time All Pros. Yeah, you just you just mentioned sort of what you need. You sort of need a real core. Like it's nice to have, you know, the the Ted Karras's and um, the Malcolm Mitchells of the world, but you need better players than that. So I and And you can throw in the '08 team too for the hell of it. And just mention that Mayo was there, and that was a defensive rookie of the year. So you had a defensive rookie of the year. You had uh, a a rookie, an All Pro, second team All Pro in McCourty, who's Chung is been a Pro Bowl level player even if he hasn't gone. So you're exactly right. That's a great point about that. You should write that this week. Eight, nine, and ten and eleven. You've probably written it before, but what the hell? Um Nobody remembers. We'll do no, it again. No. You can see that by the emails that go out for our shows. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think Schefter just said well, I said that yesterday. Nah, we'll talk about it again. Um so Phil This brings us to the most important player in the National Football League, Tom Brady. In order for the Patriots to make Brady an offer that he believes is amenable financially, and in order for them to make a commitment to him in which he believes he's going to have a little bit more ownership in game planning, in what the team does well, He's not going to be treated like employee number 12, so he's not going to act like he's employee number 12. In order for all of those things to happen, Bill Belichick is going to need to acknowledge that, you know, we really did do a shitty job getting you guys to play with this year, Tom. It wasn't really your fault. I don't think that 67-year-old Bill Belichick has that in his DNA to say, this was on me. I really don't. And if he can't do that, then he's going to hold Brady over a barrel financially or maybe not even make an offer at all and say, why don't you go check out what the other offers are, Tom? We don't want to get into a disrespectful situation with you. Find out what it is you want to do, then we can talk. That's why I think this might head to free agency and visits. And that's why I think Tom Brady said the word hopefully when talking about retirement. Because I could see him coming back and giving the old Richard Gear from Officer and a Gentleman, I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> and Belichick just saying, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So it's a fascinating dynamic, Phil. Do you think that Bill Belichick needs to self scrutinize and find fault with himself in order for him to get his brain around? giving Brady more than $25 million a year next year. See, I'm not so sure those things are necessarily that dependent on one another, those two, okay. those two ideas. I think he will find fault with how the team was built offensively, but I don't know if that means he will then say, come on back, Tom, you know what, let's just run it back, and you know, we'll throw a few million on top of what we gave you, in 2019 too, just so you're happier about the whole process. Maybe you show up in the spring, maybe your attitude in the press conferences <laughs> is a little bit better. So our 22 year old receivers aren't down on themselves week after week. Like I just, I, I could see him saying we need more talent. I mean, we just, we scored 13 points in the, in the wild card round against a defense. That's not even very good. So that goes without saying, but there's still going to be a hard line. I think, on what he's willing to give Tom Brady. So I think that's where it starts. I think it starts with the team because I think Brady wants to be back 
I think he showed that last summer when he was looking for a multi-year deal that he didn't get. And I think if the team offered him what he wanted, he would be back. I don't think he's that fed up with what's going on here that he would just scoff at, a, at what he considers a fair offer from any other team. Mm-hmm. But does the team want him? And that means, do they want him at a respectable number? I'm sure they would be okay with him at, at what they feel like is a great number. Uh, would would they be okay with him at $15 million? Probably. They'd probably say, come on back. But does Tom Brady want to be paid like Andy Dalton? I don't think so. Nobody does. So, Even if so it's that, more than what you're making at your current job, if someone says, do you want me to pay you like Andy Dalton? It just sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you're the Andy, we consider you the Andy Dalton of our company. We're out of, so we're going to pay you as such. I'm out of here. That's $15 million. I'm not going to be paid like an Andy Dalton. <laughs> well, we'll call you the Red Rifle. <laughs> nope. See ya. Oh, I just, I, so that's that's where I think the the issue is is going to be because I I do I would be really surprised if they gave him a raise. Uh, I know the cap's going up, and so maybe they would account for that in terms of the percentage of the cap and all that. But there is already a cap number from and you I saw broke this down on Twitter, Tom. But there's already part of his cap from this current deal that's going to go on to his deal. It sounds like in 2020, right? If, even if he's back. So yeah, let me factor do- that in. Let me How do much a little... are they really going to be willing to give him, and is he okay with that? Sorry, bud. Um, let me do a little of that business bookkeeping real quick as we start to wind down the pod. Um, so Brady could have. Brady was hoping to be offered the Drew Brees-style deal in this past offseason. Brees signed in March 2018 a two-year deal that checked in around $50 million. There's some fine print on that, but that's what it was. Brady had hoped to get the same thing. Instead, he got just a raise in $23 million, but he asked to not be franchised. The irony in ta- taking the franchise tag off, Phil, is that the franchise tag number for 2020, which would not have been difficult to approximate back in the summer, is going to be $28 million for Brady. So the 23 plus 28, unless my math sucks, and sometimes it does, that's $51 million. So Brady wasn't saying, I don't want to be franchised for any other reason other than saying, I don't want your raise. It's more important for me to have the autonomy and perhaps leverage to find out what else might be out there. And that, to me, is something that, as we talk about this over the course of the last however many months, and people have said, well, it's never been about money. Well, it isn't about money now either. It's about that leverage and freedom because he could have kept that franchise tag in there and still been charged the same amount. And the other aspect, Phil, is the point that you make about these voidable years and the way the contract was written for Tom Brady was these two years are going to void. Why are they going to void and they're going to take a cap hit? Well, the Patriots, in trying to get Brady's 2018, excuse me, 19 number under the, under the cap to give him the raise, they created phony years so that they could put cap hits in that of 6.5 or 6.75 and 6.75. So there's $13 million that has to hit the cap. It'll either hit the cap all at once if Brady signs someplace else, and it'll hit the cap regardless if Tom Brady is signed to play for $25 million with the Carolina Panthers. Patriots still have to hit that $13 million against their cap. So that's going to hit them one way or the other. Or if Tom Brady stays, your point about if it's a $28 million deal for 
2020, there's still another $6.5 million that has to hit the cap in addition to that. So it's a $34.75 million cap hit. So they're going to – go ahead, babe. That's, that's a lot, right? I mean, that's, you're talking about being up there near the, the top-level quarterbacks. And is, again, how does Belichick feel about that? And, and what does Robert Kraft allow in terms of leeway on his end? Does he say, okay, Bill, I understand, you know, we want it to be here with Tom, but I'm the owner and you'd be okay with it if we just, you know, we're going to do another couple million on top. Like, where is that line? There, there's got to be a line there somewhere. I would imagine they already know what it is. And that's why when you say, I think we're going to see visits, I agree with you because I think they probably know and whether or not it's been communicated to Brady yet or it will be soon, who knows. But I imagine he's going to want to see what his options are. There's a reason that franchise tag isn't in there. Go see, go see what else you can get and see how much this team, if and when you come back to them, with whatever options are out there, and there might not be all that many, mm-hmm. but if you get a lucrative one somewhere, if you know the the Bears ownership or Chargers ownership says, "Wait, Tom Brady's available?" Like, yeah, sorry, you know Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy. Like, this isn't your call. Tom Brady is available. We're going to get him, and so you can hit the books hard this summer, and everybody's going to learn the playbook because we want Tom Brady. Like, I could see that happening, but then you'd have to have Brady come back and, and see what the Patriots are willing to do. And, and Tom, I, I would not be all that optimistic that they're just going to be willing to meet whatever offer Brady gets thrown his way. Yeah. That no, that's their out. That's their out. Look, he, we, we understand how you feel, folks. We did everything we could, but when you add in the dead money that we would have to pay, I mean, shit, if he does sign elsewhere, man, it's thirteen million dollars, and you're clear. If he doesn't, and you sign him to a two, it's still thirty-one. And when Robert Kraft talked in two thousand and thirteen to Peter King about doing something elegant for Tom Brady, he spoke specifically about percentage of the salary cap. He said we didn't know if it was a wise thing to sh- value-wise to be spending fifteen percent of our cap on one position, and that was for thirty-seven-year-old Tom Brady. Now forty-three-year-old Tom Brady. If he makes $30 million of a $200 million cap, that's 15%. Help me out. Am I wrong? Anybody? I have no idea. 20%. Of, 20%. 10% of 200 is 20. Half of that, another 5% of that is 10. So that's 30. So that's 15% of the cap is $30 million. So if Brady just gets a $25 million contract, which is still heartily less than Jimmy Garoppolo, when you toss in that dead money of 6.5 or whatever million dollars, he's at 31. And he's taking up more than 15% of your salary cap at the age of 43. Doesn't mm. seem likely. It doesn't seem likely. That's where, just, and that's where, the, hopefully, that and that's where the hopefully comes from. And that's where the hopefully comes from. And when Shit, you look man. at, you know, you contrast that with, uh, number four, who we were talking about earlier, and yeah, it's thirteen and a half in dead cap space. But if you're Bill Belichick, you're looking at this guy that was pretty impressive over the summer. He liked what he did during the season. Teammates seem to like him. He seems mature, and he's making a what a few hundred thousand next yeah. year. And you're basically paying fourteen million for for your starting quarterback. I mean, that you might could... be appealing yeah. to a guy who's looking to rebuild. So you're yeah you're. Paying fourteen million for your starter, and right. then say you bring in 
Andy Dalton. Uh, <laughs> For or Marcus Mariota. For maybe, $4 million. You know, or Marcus Mariota for a right. two-year, $11 million deal. Something humiliating that he'll have to take. Um, or Teddy elegant, Bridgewater. Elegant, Tom. Something elegant. for. T- we tried yeah. to find something <laughs> elegant for the Rocket. Um, all right, we're 45 minutes in. And as always, really appreciate you taking the time. It's the time of year that we need to zing and zang like this. We both got a story out of this to work on. I'm going to do the elegant cap number of Brady at $30 million. Even with a minimal raise, you'll do the um, got to hit it out like you did in uh, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's right. Yeah, I'm we all just over did it. some freaking assignments here. Uh, for the Podfather, Ryan Preventure, for Phil A. Perry, I'm Tom Curran. We'll be back later in the week with more up to the minute information. Uh, goodbye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.